This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan. Today, we're chatting with Jason and Kylie Katz. Jason and Kylie run Futurity Shorthorns, a seed stock supplier with properties at Kennebry, north of Baradine and Canamble. Together, they grow and store grain and silage to fill feed gaps, ensuring that they can maintain their herd and produce quality genetics for their clients. In this episode, you'll hear how the cats prioritise genetic traits that ensure their cattle are fit for all stages in the supply chain, from the producer, feedlotter, processor, through to the consumer. And as you'll hear, Jason and Kylie are passionate about agriculture, particularly sharing information and knowledge through their rural community. Local Land Services Mixed Farming Advisor, Callum Thompson, Join them for a cup of tea and this chat on the veranda at Glen Eyre. Uh, today I'm out at Jason and Kylie Katz's property, Glen Eyre. Guys, would you like to just give me a rundown on your business and, and what you do out here? We're predominantly a seed stock operation, so we supply uh, um, livestock and genetics to other commercial breeders for the improvement of their herds. We also have a cattle trading business as well, where we buy and sell stock. In making all that happen, we uh, grow crops for grain, silage and hay, which is pretty much a, a closed. We don't sort of sell too much of that stuff. It's all a bit of a closed circuit on that. What we grow, we use for ourselves. And your property's what's roughly 20 k's north of Baradine at Kennybroy? Yeah, we've got country here north of Baradine and then we've got some country east of Baradine on the Canamble Road as well. Yeah. And you've bought that place fairly recently, haven't you? It'd be four years ago we bought the Canamble country. We've put this country together over that we've got here at Kennybride over the last 15 years. Yep. And Kylie, what's your role within the business? Jack of all trades, really, or Jill of all trades. So I'm, I do the admin, our accounting, and also all of our herd recording and promotions for our seed stock business. And then I also help outside as well, as need be. Yeah. I know both of you have sort of had a connection to agriculture and particularly the stud game for since you were kids. But what made you both want to come back to agriculture? I don't think I ever really left it. So I grew up on a farm. My father managed properties for other people. Yeah, I went to university and went to Hawkesbury and did ag science there. And then, yeah, I've had a pretty interesting time in agriculture, really. Um, I've worked for, in corporate agriculture, managing um, large-scale feedlots and station properties. And it was really useful to do that, to put together some good background and a whole lot of good experiences to bring back to our own operation going forward. Um, I've always enjoyed living on a property. I always wanted to bring our kids up on a property and there's just so many opportunities in agriculture these days or there always has been if you want to seek out and find them and especially these days it's so diversified and I think it's a, a good way to live but also a good career as well. So Futurity Shorthorn has a great reputation for producing high-quality genetics. What do you focus on with your genetic selection? 
the aim of what we do is to add profit to the supply chain in general. So I guess that's a simple statement, but it's kind of difficult that you've got to cover so many bases. We need to produce genetics that uh, support the, the retail end, so from eating quality uh, right back to the cow and calf guy that's breeding the cattle, that the cattle need to be easy care and, and grow well for him and or her. Yeah, the other segments of the supply chain, whether it be a background or a feedlotter or or the processor as well. So, yeah, so that's the, that's the aim of what we do, just try and add uh, profitability to the, the beef supply chain. And I know temperament's a big thing for your stud and you can measure that with EBVs. How do you measure temperament? We do docility scores on all our cattle as weaners as, as at the point of weaning. We get them in a small confined space individually and then we give them a ranking from one to five with one being the quietest and five being unruly. So Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously the fives don't stay long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it is a trait that's heritable. So, yeah, you, you wouldn't be getting too many fives. No, we don't. No, we um, But it's not until you isolate an animal individually that you really see what its temperament's truly like. So that's how you do it. You, you isolate them individually and yeah, then in a small a round yard, get in the yard with them. Yeah, yeah. Try and get a hand on them, and the ones that you can get a hand on and they don't want to get away from you, well, they're a one, and the ones that are bouncing around a bit, well, they're at the other end of the scale. Okay. And it's all done like at the point of weaning when the calves haven't actually had much handling, so it's a true reflection of what they're like. So, and they're all in one big contemporary group, so it does, yeah, weed them out individually. And I think that would really benefit the producers who are buying bulls and, and females through you guys to uh, make that yard work a hell of a lot safer going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the the handling and the safety for people breeding the cattle, but it's also there's been a, there's enough data out there to say how much better quiet cattle perform, especially in a feedlot environment. At point of slaughter, from a grading point of view, how, how much better quiet cattle perform the ones that aren't. Yeah, so that meat quality ends up being a lot better with a lot less dark cutting and those sort of things. Yeah, correct. And and in the feedlot, I think, in some trial work, is it's up up to 0.2 to 0.4. Most of the, the, the trials have showed that there's that much extra weight gain per day. Yeah. There's not many activities that you can do to get that sort of weight gain without having to do any work really, is there? Yeah, correct. It's just genetics. Yeah. And so we've been through some pretty rough seasons over the last three years, definitely really haven't had it. great years for probably seven years besides 2016. One of the ways we see producers managing drought is by reducing stock numbers. With a start, I'd imagine that would be quite difficult because you, your genetics are so important to you. How did you manage through the drought? I guess we were like everyone. We did have to reduce numbers to some extent. Your point's right, though. We can't replace the livestock once they're gone. So I think what we did well was we had plenty of fodder on hand to start off with. I mean, the severity and the length of the dry three years, I think, caught everyone off guard. So we got through that stuff, what we had stored, which was quite a lot of fodder. I think we had sort of 3,000 tonnes of silage in 16 and 500 tonnes of hay and another 500 tonnes of grain just for all on-farm use and we got through that without too much trouble. I think we learnt 
on the purchasing, when you start purchasing fodder, to stay in front of the game. We're always six or eight weeks out in front making our purchases because even when it does rain, you're just going to have to still feed for six or eight weeks to some extent. I think that was a good practice because it allowed us to stay in front of the price rises and it didn't make us panic buy at any stage. We just had a plan and we methodically went through it, worked out our budgets on what we could afford or what we had to do. And yeah, if you take the the worry and the panic out of it, you can just manage through it a lot better. Silage isn't something that we see a lot in our area, but it's something that we've got a lot of producers interested in. If you had to give a couple of key points to how you think people should approach making silage, would you be happy to do that? Yeah. I'm a real advocate of silage. Before we came to do our own thing, we made silage for in feedlots and for pastoral companies and it's just such a quality feed. There's so many agronomical benefits as far as today we're harvesting and, and we're the middle of September. Before we plant another crop on this country, we're harvesting silage today before we go in it so we can store a lot of moisture in that country. Before we go again, certainly cleans up any weed burdens. So agronomically, it's, it's excellent like that. Chopped silage is, is certainly, to my mind, the most economical way of storing any fodder. So you're storing in bunkers or...? Yeah, bunks, above-ground bunks, because we don't have any hills in this country. But Yeah. Yeah, so and then we just cover it with plastic and, and tarps and, yeah, it can last there for 50 years if it needs to. Yeah. And you're using contractors to do a lot of or most of the yeah, work? Yeah, they do the whole job for us. I mean, the equipment required to, to do it is... You need a lot of equipment, trucks and choppers and stuff, so I think it's better just to let those guys do it. They're doing a hell of a lot of silage throughout the eastern seaboard of Australia, so they should be pretty good at at making it, you'd imagine. Yeah, that's right. They know what they're doing and uh, they're here for three or four days and they're probably cutting silage for six months of the year, so yeah. Yeah. So, Jason, Kylie, tropical grasses are a big part of your business. I know over the years you've sown quite a few paddocks to tropical grasses. How do they fit within your cropping system and your grazing system? Yeah, the tropical pastures are excellent on this lighter type soil types. They certainly give us a big bulk of feed when we get any sort of summer rainfall and some carryover feed to go into the winter time. And they also, if managed properly, can set up a pretty good environment for clovers and cerradellas and things like that to come underneath them in the wintertime. I mean, we had country here that was covered in spiny burgrass and once we introduced the subtropicals in it, they're completely gone now. You can't find a spiny burr in this country anymore. Yeah. And from a production point of view, I think we nearly doubled carrying capacity where we've got good stands of tropical pastures to what we would have just running native pastures. How do you manage them to get those clovers and medics back in? I think we've learned that it's better to have the clovers and medics and cerradella in there before you plant the uh, tropical pastures. So this year with the silage, we've undersowed with cerradella and, and medic in one block and we'll chop that now. And that'll still leave some cerradella and clover there. And if we get any sort of rain from now going forward, that'll give them a chance to seed down a little more. And later on, uh, end of January, we'll plant tropicals in there. Yeah, I have to admit, I've sown a paddock of bicerola and clovers this year after seeing the good results that you guys have got from sowing first 
before you sow your tropical grasses. So, yeah, agronomists are pretty lucky. We get to learn from a lot of pretty handy producers. <laughs> Our mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> when you're choosing paddocks to put tropicals in, how do you decide which paddocks are going to be sown down to pasture and, and which stay cropping? Because really the tropicals, we're not really sure how long they're going to last, but we think possibly forever once they're sown. Yeah, we've probably got to the stage now that we've got designated cropping country and and the other country, cropping country's in a rotation with Lucen usually and then the pasture country's pasture country and we try and just manage that. So is it paddocks, the paddocks that go to tropicals are paddocks that you couldn't sow Lucen in? Is that how you'd work that um, out? Or? Some of them may be, but it's probably the lesser t- soil types or the sandier soil types. Yeah. So the season's improved greatly. The the finish we could probably do with a bit of rain in the next week. We'll see what this change does. But the season's improved a lot since really this time last year. Is there anything that you've changed in your system due to the experience over the last three years? Anything you're doing differently? I guess we're all a little gun shy on our stocking rate, so we're probably a little more conservative with that. We've always been pretty big fodder conservers, but we'll probably go an extra length on that now as well. I don't know, I guess we focus on age of turnoff in our production system. Not so much the, the bulls we sell, but the commercial cattle that come out of our seed stock operation and cattle we purchase. So we just don't like to get log jammed with cattle sitting around and going nowhere. If there's cattle here, they need to be going forward. If they're not going forward, they need to be sold. Yeah. Just be pretty disciplined on that because cattle that are not gaining anything are still eating quite a lot. So it's better to have them going forward than not. Yeah. Kyle, is there anything that you've seen or keen to do differently? Not differently, but I think with Jace's good management and like we destocked a lot of our country and brought them in and sort of did drought feeding for all the stock, our tropical pastures have just bounced back so quickly and we now have a lot of ground cover back on the paddocks. Like previously, a lot of the paddocks were bare and it was quite concerning that the tropicals wouldn't come back. Locking up the the stock and leaving our paddocks with as much ground cover as what there was available that didn't blow away, it's just been amazing how much it has come back so quickly and the soil and the health of the soils regenerated so quickly, which is really good to see. Did you see any drop out of species with the tropicals or do you think they've we have a we grow a blend, but the digits probably become the the dominant species now. Not much roads grass left. We fine cut road grass. We'd like to grow that just to establish ground cover as an initial species. And it often fades out anyway. Yeah, certainly the digits doesn't mind a drought or two. And uh, bisset bluegrass has been good too. It's 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 handled it as well. So okay, so the bisset's persisted quite well. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's good to hear. You guys uh, run a, a field day every year and it's generally pretty well attended. Anyone that I've been to sort of had 60 to 80-odd people. In one of the earlier podcasts we did, someone actually mentioned your field day and some of the information that they'd heard at it really helped them get through the drought. But what was your driver for kicking off those field days? Because it's not something that all farmers do. I guess, especially through the, the, the dry times and when things are a bit tough, it, the sharing of information is so good for community in general, the rural community. 
Obviously, um, we have a network of people that we do genetic stuff with, but we also have lots of neighbours and farmer friends that it's good to get together and share some information and, and get everyone more productive. Yeah. We found in the drought that it was a really good way to get people to have a day off, uh, well, not a day, but a few hours off their property and sort of share their stories with other people and talk about their plans and actually to think about that they're not going that bad and make a plan going forwards because especially in the drought it was quite difficult. You could have, you sort of got bogged down and if you didn't have a plan or something to look forward to, to go forward with, it was quite challenging. So these sort of days helped people make plans and reconnect with people around them as well and, yeah, something to look forward to. It's also good. It's a good platform for I know for LLS staff to get out and talk to people as well. I know Jill Kelly and myself always enjoy it. So, Kylie, you mentioned earlier that there's lots of opportunities, and now going forward, what do you see some of the opportunities? There's such a variety of different things that you can do now. It's not just being a farm worker, like for yourself, you know, being an LLS officer or in education or promotion or in the beef industry in like meat sales or there's just so many different things. Pretty much everything is connected to agriculture or food production in one form. And, yeah, I think it's a great platform for gaining experience and gaining confidence. Like in growing up on a farm, you know, you get so many opportunities to do different things and then you can apply those skills to so many different work roles as well. Jason, have you got some opportunities you can see in agriculture in the future? Yeah, I think as as we get more um, recognised in agriculture, I mean, we look at what's happening in farming now, you know, everything's, um, you need to be pretty tech savvy now to being a, a serious farmer. And what's going on in the beef tech space is, is pretty interesting too, you know, with, on the genetics side of things, with genomics and those sort of technologies still coming along. There's some pretty interesting spaces there for young people that are keen on technology and, yeah, want to make some, some, some gains going forward. And if you had a, a tech developer here today and there's one piece of technology you can you could ask them for, what do you reckon that would be? I guess we telepathy for our watering systems. It's something going forward that we're going to look at yep. with our country being oh, reasonably extensive, I guess, in different places so you don't have to get be everywhere all the time in the summertime. So, yeah, so that's that's just off off the cuff. I think that's a good one that, yep. that more and more people are looking at, yeah. Kylie, I've been a bit unfair to Jason. I threw him that one off the cuff and given you a bit of time to think about it. Oh, especially electronic ironing. I think that would be great. <laughs> House cleaning, all those chores. No, I think the advancement in technology with all different apps and, you know, you can pretty much look up anything now, which is great. The sharing of information and um, education through podcasts, I think this is great. I think it's good to reward people in agriculture as they are a valuable occupation or they have so much value to give because sometimes from our city cousins it's just, well, the impression is that farmers aren't quite as capable or intelligent as some. But I think to be a farmer, a successful farmer, there's lots of things that you need to know. And now that we have the ability to access lots of different information, I think it's really useful. 
how do you reckon that we should be going forward trying to get that message out? I think there's a still a big disconnect between city and rural. Yeah, there's still a lot of work to get people out into the bush to understand what we do and that we are guardians of our land and our stock and our animal husbandry is really good. So, yeah, I think that we do need to get more people out and see and and experience it. And I think a lot of people would actually enjoy the experience. Yeah, maybe with um, the COVID restrictions and people travelling around Australia rather than overseas, that might help going forward. Jason Coley, thank you for your time today. It's been really good. It's going to be good for, uh, I think, our producers to hear your story. Is there anything else that you'd like to add or anything that we've missed? No, well, I'd probably like to thank yourself and Jill Kelly for all the uh, the effort you put in f- for all the people in our community and further afield and the support that you give them. And yeah, no, it's it's great to have. Oh well, I see agriculture as a big partnership between everyone, and it's good to have good partners. Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. You've been a great resource over the last three years and going forwards. I'm sure we'll still do a lot together. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narrily Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.